Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're going to answer the question, what does student-centered learning look like in real-life classrooms? We may have one of the best people in the world to answer that question. He's an educator named Bill Nave, and he put together a book through Harvard Education Publishing Group called Student-Centered Learning, Nine Classrooms in Action. Bill, welcome to the EdCast. Welcome to Boston. Uh, Thank you. It's good to be here. Coming down from Maine. Yeah, yeah, bit of a drive this morning, but uh, beautiful. Hopefully, hopefully worth it. You're lucky to be up in Maine, and great, great summer happening in New England. So, so Bill, tell us a little bit about what is the norm right now for learning, and is it not student-centered learning? And kind of define what is student-centered learning, and what is not student-centered learning. Well, that's a great question, and I'll start by asking your listeners and you a question. Think back to your K-12 schooling, and think of one or two or maybe three teachers that you uh, remember as being really good teachers Uh, so have you so far so good okay got i've got i've got several but so far so pick the top one and tell me her or his name okay um let's go with miss leone she was my high school history teacher okay tell me what made her a good teacher yeah, I think I know where you're going with this, but you know, she, what she did is she sort of empowered us as students and let us have a lot of freedom with some of our projects. She was very supportive, and whatever she saw that we were good at or had passion for, she tried to sort of incubate within the classroom. I remember doing model senate with her. I was the minority whip, uh, and I got to really harness my debate skills in her classroom. It was a history class, too, not even a debate class. Uh, that sounds like student-centered teaching. Uh, name another one. Okay, let's go with uh, and and I'll 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 add I'll add in here. It was my AP English teacher in high school, and one of my favorite projects ever was when she had asked us to come up with our own project for the semester. She said, "Be thorough." Thorough went out into the woods and he did his own thing. You go and come up with whatever you want to do, and then do it for a whole semester. And that was one of my favorite projects ever. And then we had to reflect on what that project was. And let me guess, Bill, was that student-centered learning? Uh, well, uh, were you crafting your own course for learning? Totally. Uh, I think you nailed it. <laughs> well, Bill, I feel like, we, you know what? You, you, uh, you have made me answer my own question in, in, a, in a way that I think represents what student-centered learning is if I'm the student of this podcast. And I hope that your listeners have done the same kind of thinking and reflecting. Uh, and that's the source of this book. Uh, one of, when I was at the Ed School, um, I was a teaching fellow in Kamer Seth's school reform class, which meant I had 15 or so students each year uh, in my section. Uh, and I follow pretty much all of those students since then. Which that was 20 years ago. Uh, One of them emailed me a couple of years ago telling me she had a book coming out. There was a panel discussion at Gutman Library here, and if I was in town, perhaps I could drop by. Well, that was Rebecca Wolf, and her book that she edited was Anytime, Anywhere, uh, Advocating for Student-Centered Teaching and Presenting Some Theory and Research on Student-Centered Teaching and Learning. Well, nice panel, nice book, all theory Afterwards, I went up to chat with her and I said, Rebecca, I know a bunch of teachers in Maine who are doing just this sort of teaching now. Uh, I'd love to introduce you to them so that you could meet with them, sit in their class, do a follow-up book using them as examples of student-centered teaching. Rebecca looked me in the eye and said, Bill, 
I don't have time to do that. Why don't you do that? And, <laughs> and hence thought, this book. <laughs> yeah, I thought, why not? So when I got back to Maine, I talked with my nine colleagues, and they all said, yeah, let's do this. So the book is uh, nine chapters of their describing their student-centered teaching, their students' reactions, how they came to believe in and then do student-centered teaching, how they developed their strategies, what strategies work, what struggles they had. Uh, and so it's a picture, if you will, a portrait, uh, a movie, uh, a YouTube video of these nine classrooms. So don't give us too much away because we still want people to buy the book. But maybe describe one of these classrooms in action and, and how illustrate it for us, paint a little bit of that picture about what, it, you know, I talked about my own students that are learning, but what are, some of the, what are some of the best practices happening up in Maine? Well, for example, um, fourth grade teacher uh, was ready to leave her job at a very poor, low-income rural school because it was so hard reaching the kids. They were just not interested. Um, the education level in that little rural town was very low. Um, typical, very, very rural, very, very poor community. She had thrown up her hands in desperation and started looking for a job in a more affluent part of the state. But then she also started reading about uh, how poverty affects kids' learning. And the more she read, the more she realized she wasn't reaching the kids where they were starting. So after a lot of reading, she transformed her own teaching to start where the kids are. And it begins with building relationships with each kid, getting to know the kid as a person. Fourth graders are human beings, after all. Uh, and once she got to know the kids, what their interests were, what their passions were, she built her entire curriculum around that. Uh, for example, at the end of the year, the kids did a, uh, uh, a health education fair each kid picked a topic that they were interested in and researched it for a couple of months. They did a, a fair at the school, each student standing in front of his or her little display. Um, townspeople, parents, school board members came to that uh, affair and said they learned so much. Kids were so poised and so um, knowledgeable, much like you did, your, uh, you described your, your AP doing your own thing. It seems like this style of learning is good for both the teacher and the student. It's a sort of reciprocal relationship where the students learn better and the teachers feel like they're teaching better. And these are these are techniques that won't just work in Maine. The people who would be interested in the book anywhere in the whole country in the whole world would want to read this book. Am I wrong? Absolutely. You're you're well, you're wrong. No. <laughs> it, you're right in terms of anyone could read it. You used a word in your little lead into that question, relationship. The relationship between the students and the teacher is the key to opening up the students to, uh, to want to learn. That's the immediate engaging, motivating factor. And uh, some folks may be under the mistaken impression that Maine, my goodness, all lily white, no diversity, uh, au contraire. Our kindergarten teacher in the book is second-generation Mexican-American. Half of her students way down East Maine, near Machiasport, in fact, where you were earlier, um, are Spanish speakers, migrant farm workers who elected to stay. And so as a kindergarten teacher, she's bilingual, of course, uh, and uh, her kids are learning both English and academics in kindergarten. 
another example is our 6-7 uh, looping teacher in Portland, the biggest middle school in the state that is majority minority. Um, 30 languages are spoken in the school. Portland is where a lot of immigrants in Maine settle, and so there are kids there from 30 different countries. And using these student-centered strategies, uh, Karen reaches every single one of those kids. Bill, uh, we have a lot of teachers and parents who listen to this podcast. And I'm curious, uh, they can go to HEPG.org and buy Student-Centered Learning, Nine Classrooms in Action, edited by Bill Nave. Um, but what can they do right when this podcast ends, uh, in addition to, to purchasing the book? How do they go about, as a teacher in their classroom, incorporating this into a curriculum that may already be existing, or you know, maybe making a note to set it up for the following year? Or if you're a parent... How do you encourage or how do you share these ideas with their teachers or their district to make sure that their child is getting student-centered learning? That is a terrific question. And one of the big reasons that uh, I committed with these teachers to put this book together is there is a lot of research and theory on student-centered teaching and student-centered learning. There are no uh, pictures of what it looks like in a real-life classroom. Uh, these teachers have created a video, if you will, in words, what student-centered teaching and learning looks like so that teachers who may want to try this uh, have read the theory, want to make this commitment, uh, but don't quite know where to start. These nine chapters will give them a vivid picture of where to start. So that's one thing. For parents, um, develop a relationship with your child's teacher, teachers, uh, and if possible, ask to sit in in, in, a, in the classroom. Um, and that relationship becomes the, the team that supports uh, the student learning. Really important. Uh, Bill, back to uh, relationship, that word, if that's the, we'll call that the theme of the show. Last question is your relationship with the Ed School. Uh, you talked a little bit about how you were a, a teaching fellow or researcher for K. Merced. Uh, talk about why education for you? Why have you chosen to be a teacher, an educator? Why did you come to the Ed School? The sort of whole little mini, this is my life story in education in the final minute of the show. The final minute. Yeah. Well, okay. Can you squeeze it in? I can. I taught 25 years middle school science, and then I created programs in schools for dropouts. After 25 years of that, saving a kid or two at a time wasn't enough. So I thought, let me go get a doctorate in education and fix all the schools at once, baloney. But I, I learned enough to know where the levers might be. And one is teaching in the classroom as the center of where everything happens. And if we can create uh, a picture of what that looks like, uh, and encourage all stakeholders, including teachers, to move in that direction, then we've begun to move uh, more classrooms to, to a place where more kids uh, are learning successfully. Bill Nave, he is the author of Student-Centered Learning, Nine Classrooms in Action, uh, an inspiring book, an inspiring story, and uh, a great son of the Ed School. Thanks for coming back to campus. Well, thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.